Oh yeah, okay. That okay. might be a good I little like show that. intro down the road. Ooh, or maybe like maybe. for the end of the season. Yeah, beat me to it. Yeah. I, you, I, as I was speaking it, you, 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 like, like a cat trying to t- take your breath while you're sleeping. You snatched that thought right out of my mind. You're like, you're like, no, that's mine. Oh my! I actually just thought of this just before you shut up. Yeah, uh, I, exactly. Autobots transform and roll out. Well, hey there, folks. Welcome back for another thrilling episode of Two Mikes, Two Furious Animated Transformers. This is the show where you are Mike, and we're talking about Transformers animated one episode at a time. My name is Mike Seibert. I have never watched Transformers animated before this project. And joining me, as always, is my spark soul brother, Transformers animated superfan and serial rewatcher, it's Michael Andrews. Check it out now, the Spark Soul Brother. Right about now, the Spark yeah. Soul Brother. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love that. That set me free. Yeah. See, I the thing that I think I like that we do with this show is that we're distributors of earworms. We're just yeah. we're just putting earworms at you. Know, it's like I if if you are like on your on your morning drive or whatever, and it's like you just came off of like you are Mike. You are Mike, and and now and now you've got the uh, the the uh, f- two furious. I, I I was trying to find a a two Mike's two furious version of the Rockefeller skank, but it's like I'm not no. <laughs> I'm not I'm not quite that clever of a of a wordsmith. If only I knew someone who was. I don't know. We'll, we'll workshop that. We'll workshop. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll put it back in the oven and let it bake for a little while. Yeah. How are you doing, my friend? I'm, I'm good. I'm great. Uh, coming off a couple of very relaxing weekends, so I'm I'm ready to get back in this saddle and and uh, do some work. Let's discuss some Transformers. Yeah, yeah. So on this episode, it is our episode twelve, and we'll be discussing Transformers animated episode twelve. I feel survival so good. <laughs> of the fear if. Survival of the Furious? Oh no, that's Ooh, maybe that's our episode. Title. That's <laughs> I kind of like that. Uh but yeah, it's a Survival of the Fittest and we will be uh talking about the return to Dinobot Island in just a moment, but before we got into that, we uh we we have a little bit of catch up to do and uh and some of our friends done set us straight and we had some other stuff going on and and uh, uh, what do, what do we want to unpack first before we uh, before we get into this jam packed episode? Yeah, I, well, first I want to know how'd Cybefest go? It was really good. Um, it was uh, for for those of you just joining us. Uh, Cybefest Northwest is our local unofficial Transformers convention in the Pacific Northwest uh, by the fans for the fans. We held our tenth annual convention our 10th annual side fest oh, wow. at the the kent commons community center right across from the showware center in kent washington 20 miles south of seattle i i 
I'm only doing this shtick because like it, my brain is so hardwired because I've been on the <laughs> Sidefest promotional tour for yeah. so long. I've been doing a lot of uh, guest spots and promo and talking about it a lot on my other podcast, Mike Seibert Radio. And so it's like it's just kind of like an old shoe that you your foot yeah. slips into. And before I realize it, I'm telling folks to go to SidefestNW.com for all the details about guests and information and all that stuff is over the convention is long <laughs> over i was gonna say you slipped right into californian right you're like get on the 595 take it up to <laughs> long beach get off <laughs> yep exactly but no it was it, it was a blast uh the dealer room room was packed um i saw a lot of transformers being sold i saw a lot of toys that i did not buy that um, I, I think we can we can talk about in the future, but for uh, but for now, like it, it's it's interesting the dichotomy between going to event convention and being part of a convention. So I was part of the organization team, kind of responsible for helping organize the show and put on the show. So I didn't necessarily experience it as a fan. The the kick I got out of it was seeing the joyful smiles from folks that enjoyed their time there. We had a lot of great panels. We had a terrific Q&A with Paul Eiding, the voice of Perceptor. And um, yeah, it was it, it was just, oh man, it was, it was a really fun time. And if you're listening and you've ever been curious about uh, Transformers fandom in the Pacific Northwest, I'd definitely recommend you come check us out in the summer. And I don't know what else there is to say other than like, you know, we had a blast because like I could I could talk about our exclusive figure and and all of the panels I hosted and all that. I mean, I, I could do a full recap show of it, but I don't <laughs> I don't think we got that kind of time here today. But well, I guess I am curious. You Did you actually host a couple panels? Like, did you like provide content to someone? I was kind of the MC of the panel ah, room. Okay. So basically like I kind of like introduced each panel. I was like, okay, yeah. So give it up for the Swerves Bar podcast. They're going to give us a demo of their live role play D and D uh, show. And actually shout out to those folks because they, they put on a terrific multimedia panel that what quite frankly was so well produced that it, it belongs in a convention larger than Cybefest. Like they had, oh, wow. they, they've done a lot of stuff with voice actors. Like they've talked to uh, like uh, uh, Frank Todaro, who does uh, Starscream, uh, Lindsay Rousseau, who's uh, Alita one in the, in the Netflix show and, and a handful of others as well. But anyway, they, they did like this multimedia presentation where they had like pre-recorded videos as well as like their, their um, uh, demos of their different podcasts. They, they wow. do a variety of podcasts over there at Swerve's Bar. I thought it was just the, the D and D stuff, but they, they're like recapping IDW comics as well. And it's uh, it, it's quite the host of a variety of podcasts that, and it, and it underscores that I haven't been listening to their stuff nearly enough, but it was, it was a really high quality presentation. Uh, but basically like, I so I was like, well, okay, we got about ten minutes until the next uh, panel. So if you want to ask a question, now would be the time to do so. And uh, I'd hold the microphone. You're the and, panel queen. You were the exactly. panel queen of uh, Cybefest. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I I got to kind of you know host uh, a couple panels. Like I kind of 
co-hosted the Paul Eiding panel with uh, Ben, one of our other organizers. He basically sat at the table next to Mr. Eiding, whereas I was the guy on the mic, you know, kind of like doing doing a man on the street stuff. Sure. Like, oh, hey, well, you know, hey, uh, what, what's your name and where are you from? You know, that, that, and then that hit kind him of in the thing. face with the microphone. Yes, <laughs> exactly. Right all all, all uh, Geraldo style, just like got some gotcha journalism. Yeah. <laughs> I also hosted a uh, behind the exclusive panel where we talked to uh, Ashley Artley and Alex Gobb uh, from Blue Forge about our Generation Zero Wheelless Jack exclusive action figure, which is a really fun toy. Um, but that that was really fun. We did a organizers roundtable that I kind of sort of emceed, and uh, but yeah, I, I spent the majority of my time in the panel room. Um, I did get to. Uh, see a couple folks. Our our good friend Apollo was tabling at Cybefest. It's uh, the the first convention she's done since before COVID. Oh, awesome! So that um, so uh, she had a blast. Sold a whole bunch of stuff. Saw a lot of friends, and yeah, it, it was it was a great time. But like the the thing for me that was kind of I I'm reluctant to say missing, but basically like when you're on the other side of the mic you don't necessarily get to enjoy it the same way you would as if I just rolled up to the convention as a fan. Like, right. you know, I've done entire recap podcasts about going to TFCon, and I talk about, like, the shenanigans in the bar. <laughs> of which are many. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And and the lack of service in the Caddyshack Sadness Bar in Chicago, you know, that, 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 kind, of, that kind of weird stuff. So I don't necessarily have those kinds of stories, but I will tell one story uh, before uh, before we move on. So one of our Cybefest traditions is after the convention is done and everything is all cleaned up, and it and it takes like ninety minutes to you know put all the tables away and all the chairs. And if I don't have to to fold and throw another table it will be it will be too soon my gosh <laughs> those tables get heavy after oh, a while yeah. especially if you've been conventioning all day um but anyway one one of our traditions is we go over to the panera bread uh, across the street in the in the kent station and for folks around the country who may not have a panera bread basically it's overpriced hospital food but it's uh <laughs> I, it's a great explanation actually it really it really kind of is and and that's not to say the food is specifically bad but there is a industrialness to it um, two mics too furious brought to you by panera bread Exactly. But we we just kind of sit and chill. And I guess the, the vibes, the best way I can explain the, the vibes is it's the post credit scene of the Avengers from 2012, <laughs> where where they finally make it to the, the shawarma restaurant. But everybody is so exhausted that everybody is just slumped over. You know, there, there's a little bit of conversation and and certainly some good vibes. But really, the theme is exhausted yeah and and i i am delighted that our group grows every year so you know sometimes like the the uh some of the artists will come hang out with us and 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 it's very much family like you know a lot of the other folks in the organizing team have 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 families so it's you know you got you got kids running around you got babies in scooters and and that kind of thing so it's so it's it's very much reconnecting to that that sense of family and community which is which is really great 
that is all to say that this time around was um, especially special. Our featured guest was voice actor Paul Eiding, as I had mentioned before. And basically, when the convention ended, we all said our goodbyes and uh, uh, Ben went to go take he and his wife uh, back to their hotel, presumably for them to, you know, go off into go off into the good night. They um, they were they were actually going to stay in the Pacific Northwest for for a handful of days. Uh, they, they were planning a vacation trip. They've got family in the area now that specifically matters, but it's not like they had to jump on a plane. Sure. So we say all of our goodbyes. Hours pass. The convention ends. We go to Panera Bread and we're about maybe like a third into our our slumped over uh, just just forcing carbs into our bodies to to recharge i mean it's like one of uh one of our organizers liz literally gets a loaf of bread just a loaf of bread and just carb loads like a bread bowl hold the soup (laughs) yes exactly yes literally i like i got a sandwich and you can get like sides and one of them is like a side of bread i got the side of bread to go with my sandwich (laughs) um so that so that that's kind of what's going on there you're just kind of pushing nourishment into into your body but um suddenly in walks ben he's he's gonna uh catch up with us and um he brought uh paul eiding and his wife with him whoa so we hung around casual style with uh with paul for i don't know like an hour or so and it was it was pretty delightful oh that's awesome we we didn't necessarily like talk about anything like you know i mean he told some stories about like you know other conventions he had gone to and things like that but it was kind of more in that same vein of just kind of like casual exhausted chat so i i guess now i realized that i've been on this tangent for a while that i had more stories than i realized but that's that's excellent that's something that's going to stick with me because basically just kind of like the way the organically it happened with seating arrangements he was basically like diagonally uh in front of me so i'm i'm you know having like one-on-one conversations with with paul eiding as we're as we're just hanging out and it was um it was pretty terrific yeah that's so cool i love that like when you can like let your hair down with the special guest for a moment right like it kind of kind of adds a sense of realism i was gonna say like in tfcon words it's kind of like when um flint dilly you know it's kind of like when he had that huge, like three, fa- five, uh, I'm saying three faces of darkness out because of <laughs> the five faces of darkness panel uh, was a great panel with him, went on forever, talked and told stories. But I'd say arguably almost the better panel, quote unquote, with him was just in the lobby of the hotel after hours, like him holding court, talking about it. I think a lot of people missed out on that secret panel that ended up going for hours. Yeah. After the panel proper had already gone for hours. Yeah. I didn't even make it to the end of the panel. I uh, I, I tapped, so it's same, like I, I I I heard later of the of the tale of the lobby hangout, and and that's and that's that's one of the other differences between say traveling for a convention versus going to a local convention. It's like so there. Um, I, I remember Apollo had asked me. She's like, so so what's kind of like the the nightlife after party scene like? And I'm like, well, we we all go to Panera Bread after and just carb load. I wouldn't necessarily call it an after party though. 
But you kept them open for one more year, the Panera Bread. You uh, all funded them for one more additional exactly. year. Exactly. Well, and, and it's funny, too, because we we shoved all of the tables together. I mean, because there, there was 20 of us. Um, wow. So we, we basically took over like that whole chunk of their of their restaurant and you know and it's not like one of those things where it's like you're you're a scumbag teenager and you go to denny's with your friends and just get <laughs> like like a cup of coffee to split between five of you it's yeah. it's not like that i mean we uh, uh we, we we certainly uh paid for our space but yeah i would i i would imagine that that folks coming in didn't quite know what was what was going on. I'll, I'll have to I'll have to tweet a, a picture from the from the two mics account uh, just yeah. to kind because of, like yeah because we got like a really good wide shot of of all of us at at the Panera afterwards. But it was it, it was terrific. It was it was a really good time. Beautiful, beautiful. That's great. Well, that's fun. That was great. We did some good news, and now we're gonna talk about how we failed the Transformers community. First, that's how we helped the Transformers community. Now we're gonna talk about how we failed the Transformers community. Well, no, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's so fail. much of a failure, but actually, it it underscores that we have a a active and passionate audience. Yeah. Just testing if they're listening still, right? Exactly. And and I think sometimes, whether intentionally or in this case unintentionally, we, we kind of throw some stuff out there to uh, get people talking. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Well, yeah, to kind of <laughs> – it's really funny to me actually because uh, to peel back the curtain a little bit, you have this posting at like – I think this posts automatically or something at midnight on whatever day it's going to launch. Yeah, and yeah. I woke up in the morning to just a Twitter explosion of, you know, here's some here's some information about Lake Erie and here's this and here's that. And I was like, ah, what is happening? I just bleary-eyed kind of rolled out of bed. But it was really interesting. It was kind of fun catching up on it. But I want to I want to dive into some of it. Uh, sure. Some of the info from uh, Lost and Found, the previous episode we covered. Um, I guess I want to start with uh, the big one for me was and I knew this information at some point. I must have forgotten it. Uh, the poke or the T poke, they call it the punch of kill everything. This is what lug nuts punch is called. And at the time, I don't know if it was just. Sunday hangover or something going on, but last time we recorded, but I was like, I don't know what that's called. I feel like it has a name or should have a name, but actually, uh, it was given a name. It it was uh, kind of went unofficially and then became uh, the punch of kill everything and was officially canonized. Well, and it's interesting too because uh, obviously I don't know any of this stuff. Uh, you know, first time watcher, but you know, even then during our recording, you had referred to it as the way Blitzwing does as calls it the punch, you know, capital T capital P, uh, right. uh the punch. So and close. so it's, <laughs> so it's like, it was already kind of there. Uh, but yeah, our, our good buddy TFG one, Mike, uh, was he immediately. It's so funny. I mean, people must have podcast notifications or something. I I've, I, again, I, I feel incredibly flattered that like people like will, will gobble up the episodes like as soon as we put them out, but yeah, uh, hey, two mics, two furious. Mike Seibert Radio at Michael Andrews. The punch of kill everything. It's the T poke. LOL. <laughs> yeah. And with that, uh, the punch of kill everything has been around since animated was on air. Just ask 
General Techno. General Techno, our good friend uh, of Mike and the Earth Sparkles, um, also had himself a really good TFCon um, experience. Uh, next time we do a Mike and the Earth Sparkles, when we when we talk about the last chunk of uh, Transformers Earth Spark things, we we gotta ask him about his TFCon experience, like where he customized. He had a uh, uh, the arc. The Titan class arc oh, yeah. that he that yes. was Cosmos, and yeah. then went into into the charity auction and went for a obscene amount of money that that went to benefit Make a Wish up in Toronto. So I really want to talk to him about that because awesome. there, that thing was beautiful. And there's video of him just like with his jaw on the floor of just like how for how. Uh, how high the bidding was going. Wow. But but that but th- but that's for a different day. Um, yeah. <laughs> just, you know, every podcast is somebody's first podcast, and I feel the compulsion to uh, put context for who some of our cast of characters are. But anyway, so so General Checkno is also a TFA super fan and says, yep, they canonized the fandom name in the AllSpark Almanac, if I remember correctly. And then he says, Poke... Hey, man, gotta catch them all. Yeah, <laughs> good, good Pokemon bit. I always appreciate that. Um, yeah, so going a little f- deeper into it, uh, it's actually I discovered at BotCon 2008. This is from TF Wiki. Marty Eisenberg took a liking to the term punch of kill everything used in fandom and said he would find a way to work it in. And then sure enough, in the comic, The Arrival Number 4, uh, written by Eisenberg, uh, Lugnut's attack was canonized and named as such. So, yeah, uh, so I guess it kind of started in BotCon 2008, but actually uh, made its way into the comics. So uh, even more official than the AllSpark Almanac. But, I, you know, I was going to say it's it's tough because we're trying to do this sort of uh, keep you fresh when you see the episode. So I'm always steering you away from TF Wiki, but I forget that right. I can go into the TF Wiki for you and maybe do some of this <laughs> legwork. So on your behalf. <laughs> yeah. So I've kind of been scouring it uh, per the episodes now and making sure, you know, just telling you what I can tell you without uh, spoiling everything. So I thought it was really cool. Uh, So the punch of kill everything is a great example of this. I also think it's really interesting that there's a bunch of like Transformers fall of Cybertron uh, and war for Cybertron uh, mentions of punch of kill everything. Like it even gets some in-game name drops. And then also they included uh, it on Cyberverse Clobber, which is a toy I picked up. It's, you know, Cyberverse line. So it's a little bit for a younger audience, but I picked it up during COVID because it looks just like Lugnut. Um, is modeled after Lugnut, and it also possesses a supercharged punch punch attack uh, based off the the poke, the titular poke. So, wow! Yeah, wow! Cool. That's that's really neat. I I love that we were able to unlock a whole tangent of fandom yeah. that I and, and it's so funny too because I I guess it's a lesson in you don't always know what has deep history and deep lore surrounding it who knew that right. something as relatively innocuous but still awesome t uh, capital t capital p the punch had had right. had a depth to it it's it's amazing actually that's the uh also according to tf wiki that's the brazilian name for it they call it osoko or the punch so well that's kind of oh right. get out of here <laughs> oh that's rad yeah so, i uh i I just watched that episode again the other day too because it, it it rules. It rocks. It, it's, it's it's like a flagstone of or a flagship of the the whole show. I think tentpole. Yeah, kind 
Kind of a cornerstone, yeah, cornerstone temple type of thing. Because, like, you know, sometimes when, when I go through and edit the episodes, listening to us talk about it and hearing our kind of, like, rising, increasing passion for it is kind of weirdly infectious. Like, it, it makes, and it really put me in a mood to, like, you know, I want to watch that episode again. And it just, again, it, it rules. It, yeah. uh, it, it, it rocks so hard. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so uh, I think we'll. I think I'll go into dip my toe into the uh, TF wiki a little bit more for you. Um, I still like to keep it in the metaphor of the show. You know, I still like that we're kind of like two guys meeting up at a pub to talk about something. We don't have all the answers, and then you know, someone wanders up to the table and go, "Hey, actually, that's this." And I like I like to keep that dynamic going. Yeah, exactly. I I like those vibes. And if the feedback is to be believed, I think folks do as well. So, right. right. In fact, it's interesting. I, uh, I, I know you dip in, but aren't necessarily a resident of the Autopod Decepticast discord, but it, it warms my heart that much like our friends like TFG one, Mike or other folks that, that like get onto an episode immediately, there's almost always a mention when we drop an episode it's like oh hey man uh new uh, new episode of two mics two furious dropped oh man that episode was so cool and and i'm always gracious i was like thanks for the the support and the signal boost and all that and it's like yeah it's a it's a fun show you know and and that totally. um that that makes me happy because we you know obviously we're kind of like a a spiritual spin-off of their show but our show is is quite a bit different and we and we do things differently than than those guys do so in uh in the sense where not everything is for everybody i greatly appreciate that fans of their show um have have migrated over and have followed us here as well and keeping up with our adventures which which is very humbling yeah yeah totally very grateful well what do you think should we just jump right in I think so. I actually we, so, have this in my notes now, a new segment called Jump Right In. And it's usually, uh, so I think, yeah, about 40 minutes in is when we'll jump right, <laughs> the segment of the show perfect. Jump Right In happens. So, <laughs> but yeah, that's good. I wanted to do a little conjecture about, about the previous, previous episode. Uh, but yeah, let's, let's get to what we're talking about this week. I love it. And we are talking about Transformers Animated Season 1, Episode 12, Survival of the Fittest, which aired on March 8th, 2008. And it was written by a cat named Stephen Granat. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, Stephen Granat. This is his only Transformers animated episode. He's also written a couple episodes of Rescue Bots, but according to the TF Wiki, Stephen Granat is a LA-based writer who typically forms one half of a writing team. Yeah, no, but uh, Steve Granat, so yeah, he hasn't written too much Transformers stuff, but uh -uh. uh, he did write nine episodes of one of my favorite cartoons, which is X-Men Evolution, uh, where it's sort of like I don't know. Harry Potter is not a great term, but it's more like they're in high school. Uh, the mutants. That's kind of the take of it. Really great show if anyone uh, wants to watch that or hasn't. But in keeping with uh, the, this weird underlying thread that keeps running through our whole show, he did write 65 episodes of the Dennis the Menace cartoon, which I think we were just talking about Dennis the Menace, uh, number one 
Jefferson reference <laughs> that we made last week. But then he also wrote 35 episodes of a little show called Small Wonder, which somehow just keeps coming back to haunt us. Yes! Every episode somehow. <laughs> it's like six degrees of small wonder happening here. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he that's his other biggest writing credit was he wrote a ton of that show. Nice. Uh, he also wrote several Barbie movies, not to be confused with the Barbie movie, which I want to plant a flag here. Rules. It rules so hard. I haven't seen it yet. It's it, it's got a lot of things to say about a lot of things. I and awesome. and I'll leave it there for now. Other than to say it's it's one of my favorite movies of the year. Wow. So yeah. So let's let's kind of get into it here. We start at the Autobot base. And Sari has taken up the way of the ninja, and she's yeah. uh, practicing her ninja skills uh, to varying degrees of success. With Prowl, so I think we have to assume that she did something wrong, because so far training with Prowl is strictly punishment. So we'll just pretend off screen she must have done something something bad. And there, there's this thing where... And, and it becomes an ongoing gag throughout the episode where she's trying to do this, uh, the, this ninja nerve attack <laughs> um, yeah. and, and she's, she's not incredibly uh, successful at it. And at one point she bounces off of Prowl's leg. She like kicks Prowl in the, in the knee or the leg or something like that and bounces off, falls on her butt. And uh, there, there's, there's some kind of, there's, there's a bit of legislation here Give her a break, Prowl. Humans don't have turbo balance thrusters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, all jokes aside, I mean, well, you know, she's not training because of punishment. It's more that Optimus wants her to be able to defend herself when nobody is around. Uh, that makes sense. That tracks. Humans need to protect themselves. So so maybe for, I, I mean, it's sorry. So I assume she did something wrong, but I guess they're kind of looking at it more from a protecting her standpoint. It is. And, and I, I take a little bit of umbrage with that because prime says something to the effect of like, as keeper of the key, sorry, is a potential target of the Decepticons, which means she must learn to defend herself. Oh, well now that now this key is so important and, you know, sorry, really needs to defend herself. And it's like, where have you been for the last dozen episodes? I'm <laughs> I'm kind of frustrated with the Autobots. So 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 now they think it's a priority that the the key and sorry needs to be protected. Yeah. I um, mean, now I suppose over the last several episodes there have been a number of misadventures and no shortage of close calls, but still, th this feels a little late to have this much emphasis. Uh, cause it, it is twofold. One, it is teaching sorry self-defense in a way to defend herself and to be self-empowered, but also there's an interest in protecting the key. I mean, obviously yeah. the, the entire reason why they're on earth is to protect the AllSpark, but now suddenly the Autobots seem just as invested in the protection of the key. Whereas, I don't know, maybe maybe they didn't appreciate that the key is a conduit of the all spark. Um, maybe they just thought it was 
you know, Sari's toy or something like that. I don't. Yeah. Well, I think it's twofold here. I think I think for one thing, you have this emergence of more Decepticons. So now, mm. you know, you didn't have that before. And now there's a little bit less of a, well, we just don't bring her into battle and it'll be fine. Like they're at, the Decepticons are actually like gunning for her now. Like they want that key. Now that we know that play is Optimus. I think Optimus knows in this situation He's not. They're not going to be able to cover her twenty four seven all the time. She's going to need to be able to act on her own. So yeah, maybe in that sense, the focus is on her now. Yeah, and I and I didn't take that into account. Now that you mentioned that, the escalation, you know, because I I think encountering Lugnut and Blitzwing probably was a wake up call for the Autobots, and in a, in a number of ways, and. They barely got out of that fight. In fact, had they not taken the fight down to the ship and the intervening of a goddamn railgun, you know, <laughs> yeah. that 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 fight would not have gone the Autobots way. Right, right. Yeah. So now she needs to do some ninja training. We got to get her up to at least as much as a human can be up to speed with the rest of the Autobot team. That's their goal. And I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, before we move on from this scene, I think it's so sweet because like bulkhead was watching out for his little buddy, right? Like he's, mm -hmm. he's kind of like, you know, he doesn't want her to get hurt in the training and he, she, he can tell that it's taking this toll on her. Um, so, so when sorry goes to like kick him, he like over, he like acts it up, right? Like it, it really hurt. Ow, ow. I mean, he does something like to the effect of like too much or like, was that, was that yeah. going too far? Yeah, it was a little bit. <laughs> I, I I put in my notes that he he goes full Dr. Smith and he's like, <laughs> oh, the pain. Oh, the pain. Yeah. Yeah. He maybe takes a page from Megatron's book, right? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, exactly. Um, th there's there's also this uh, th this throwaway gag too when when she falls over and th there was the thing about the 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 turbo thrusters, but she was also like or padded bumpers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> because they're, they're cars and vehicles. So I, I thought that, I thought that was a pretty funny. No, gag. no shortage of uh, car metaphor puns and jokes in this show. Mm -hmm, they seem, they mm -hmm. seem to have found everyone. Uh, yeah. So from there, we transition to uh, sorry by herself in her bedroom. And she's kind of doing this uh, taxi driver type of monologue thing <laughs> yeah. where she's like she's like staring at her reflection and really trying to Psyching like hyper up. yeah 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 <laughs> it's like you talking to me right. you talking to me <laughs> you want a piece of this deceptive creep take that and that yeah uh Ho so, yeah wholly inappropriate for an eight-year-old girl <laughs> right, right just <laughs> let's just get into it let's just fight with myself uh yeah so and then while she's doing that, uh, she's pretty psyched. And there's like a mysterious shadowy shape flies by. And I almost forgot that this was going to be spoilers, a Dinobot episode. So I was like, whoa, what was that? And then I was like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is a Dinobot episode. So it ends up being Swoop um, outside of her window, which this window too, very futuristic, this room of hers. And when this slides open, it reminded me of like Star Wars episode two, like those weird like. Ray yeah. shielded hologram 
Uh, yeah, yeah. The one that Obi-Wan jumps out of in episode two. Everyone's favorite mm-hmm. prequel episode two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. I, I just I just appreciate that we're keeping prequel references alive. Yes, we got to get I mean, uh, average one an episode, I think. Yeah, if, if you had a, a two mics, two furious bingo, it would certainly include a Star Wars prequel spot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So uh, the next thing we know, Sumdak's opening her door, Isaac Sumdak, that is, uh, opening mm-hmm. her door and finds it empty. There's signs of a struggle. It looks like he was bringing her dinner. Um, and then, yeah, she's gone. Sorry is uh, officially kidnapped. Yeah. So I, I wrote this down in my notes and, and it's taken me a do- Sometimes I, I pick up on patterns right away. Other times it takes me a while, but I, I wrote specifically in my note this time. I do like a good Isaac Sumdak gasp. He has a, a very distinctive <laughs> gasp and, and it does reprise throughout previous episodes, but it's like, I just, I noticed it here. It's like, and it's very distinctive, yeah. but it's, uh, you'll have to drop was, that in. We got to get that, that gas. Someone, we can save that as a, that'd be a good, like a uh, notification sound for your phone or like a ringtone for when mother calls. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then immediately it's lights and sirens. Yes. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Some deck calls the Autobots uh, and apparently Detroit PD. It looks like it looks to we're, we're to assume that he calls the Autobots first, which I think is good. And then police second, I guess. Yeah. Given the context, that was a smart move. Uh, but the, so the cops are on the case and then, and I all, you know, as much as I forgot it being a Dinobot episode, it's also a fan zone episode. How could I forget fan zone? This is a a huge fan zone episode. Um, Uh, Yeah, really. I mean, in fact, this is the most captain fan zone has gotten to do in, in a good long while. It's, it, it's almost a spotlight episode. Oh yeah, absolutely. And now remind me, doesn't Jeff Bennett voice both prowl and fan zone? Correct. Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of scenes with just those two. Those two. That must have been. I wonder if he was like recording that back to back, or if they like separated. Like, but either way, that's a lot of that's a lot of talking to yourself going on mm-hmm. for this episode for sure. It, it's a it's a real uh, Peter Cullen, uh, Optimus Prime talking to Ironhide type of thing. Yeah, like, yeah, like times the whole episode. <laughs> exactly, and and where the the voices are so incredibly different yes like you know we we, in previous episodes we've talked about the stuff uh david k has done you know it's how like you know his optimus is so different from lugnut i mean to say nothing about like you know his other stuff you know beast wars megatron and all all that other stuff but like in the context of tfa you know just those characters that he does there their voice acting is is an incredible talent that i think is easy to take for granted because they they could do some really cool stuff and inhabit uh very distinctive characters i do think it's interesting though that the venn diagram of fan zone and prowl being law enforcement folks right yeah yeah weirdly like their circles couldn't be further apart but they do kind of touch in the middle yeah, there's there's that's, a sliver there that, where yeah. where it it just says a cab and it's like what's that don't don't worry about it don't worry <laughs> right, about right. it <laughs> we're, we're not we're not gonna talk about that right yeah so there's this great scene with fan zone uh and he's uh having trouble with the phone and call waiting is that even a thing anymore D- did phones even have call waiting i guess is that a thing of the past 
Well, and it, and it's weird because it kind of gets into the the goofy futurism of TFA. You know, if we're in the far flung future of twenty one fifty seven, but right. even in in two thousand eight, I don't know if call waiting was as much of a thing. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that was strange. But yeah, either way, it pisses them off. This is why I hate machines. Uh, and he has a big display of aggression. And I love this bit where where they're talking about him being a technophobe. No need uh, to be such a technophobe, Captain. Yeah. He's like, is it, is it a technophobe someone that's afraid of technology? You know, does this look like something a technophobe would do? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. This is like textbook what any kind of a phobe would do. Yeah. And, and talk about messaging that is ahead of its time because you know i i think in the climate that we're in currently you can you could apply this same exact thing to as you said michael andrews anything that's a phobe yeah and and it's like well you know if i was this that or other thing which would you know does it look like this and it's like yes Absolutely. Yes, you're He's having a breakthrough. Doing, Hold on to this yeah, feeling. Exactly, exactly. Uh-huh. And and in and instead, because you know, it's it's a breezy children's cartoon and we're just trying to go through it, but like I I wish Prowl hadn't let him off the hook so easily. Where because he he's like, "Well, that's a fair point." But basically Prowl is kind of right to call him out. It's like, "You know, buddy, you're you're doing a light bigotry here. You you might yeah. you might want to check yourself." Yeah, Prowl was uh, the least dick he's ever been, right? Like if we were yeah. doing a Prowl dick score, this was like a minus six uh, mm-hmm. for this whole episode. He was like that. Um, but that, yeah, so he, he was he was being cool about it as, yeah. as opposed uh, as opposed to I mean, and again, I, do, I don't want to make this about, you know, political discourse or or whatever. But like so much of what has us divided as as a nation, as a people is that we get in each other's face and yell about stuff. So it's interesting to see Prowl, who is coded as a brusque, abrasive type character, really just kind of trying to level with a guy. So it's it, it's yeah. it's a really cool approach that you wouldn't expect to see. Like a th- there's a more poorly written and poorly performed version of this where like instead of Prowl, say it's like, I don't know, uh, Bulkhead or Ratchet or Shooter, even Bumblebee. I'm just trying to I'm trying to roll yeah. through the different versions of where this is an uglier scene where it's like, hey, man, don't be such a racist. Yeah, racist. And yeah. and and Fanzone responding to it with a you think this is what racism looks like. And, you know, that that kind of thing. Right. Whereas this using Prowl does give a little bit more of a deft touch to it. But still, I'm I I was a little disappointed that the moment comes and goes so quickly. Yeah, yeah, but it was you know for this show for the time a lot more depth than than I could normally give it credit for. Oh sure, oh sure, and, and again ahead of its time because I I don't think any of that discourse was part of the climate in two thousand eight. Totally, totally. Yeah, so that was a great scene uh, from an emotional standpoint. Then we get a very funny scene. This is to me was hilarious because the next thing we know, uh, they're they're questioning fan zones, questioning the Autobots about you know 
the last time they saw sorry what happened um and it comes to the fact that they were uh teaching her ninja nerve blows <laughs> fanzone says you're teaching an eight-year-old ninja nerve blows and ratchet grace greatest line you want her to pick it up in the street <laughs> just like, fair point uh very good point oh it's so great i i love that too because the implication is that on the mean streets of new detroit people are just learning ninja nerve blows <laughs> right. like right there on the street corner the drug problem has been solved but unlicensed ninja nerve blow teaching <laughs> is just running rampant in the streets of new detroit <laughs> I, I do think it's also interesting. Is this the first time that we actually get a name check for Sari's age? Because like I was we, wondering we, that too. They say eight year old specifically, and and this is post birthday, so oh, yeah. time has passed. She starts the show being seven. She's now eight. Yeah. All right. That tracks. Yeah. Yeah. I think you might be right. I haven't heard it before for sure. And, and like even on her birthday episode, they didn't even say it. No, no. There was no cake. Which, there was no candle with the, in the shape of a number that we could go off of. We didn't have anything. Nope. Just just sound wave. Yeah. Just doing <laughs> this thing. Right. Yes, I'm doing the shaking my arms thing. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. So they go on to uh, watch some footage, which reveals uh, a Dinobot, or at least what looks uh, credibly enough like a Dinobot that Optimus thinks that's what it is and you know says something the effect of you know i guess we never found out what happened to those guys and this is where prowl and bulkhead really start sweating and tugging their collars because uh and another bit of great continuity this is their old secret from you know very early on in the season coming yeah. back to haunt them uh that they never told optimus they never told anyone that they stashed the dinobots on on that island and this is where i really like that uh they're, they're planning to go back out there and then this episode is great for like actual cop stuff happening. Like the stuff with Fanzone actually doing detective work is really cool. And there's this little moment where he overhears that, you know, they're on this island and we're planning to go out there. And instead of making a big deal about it, Fanzone's like going undercover to follow them. Yeah. Well, and, and even before that, where Prowl and Bulkhead are having this dialogue where it's like, psh, 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 psh. it's like, man, should, should we come clean to Optimus? And, and Prowl's like, fuck no. <laughs> right, right. And, and it's, and so like this, this, uh, um, you know, one of the other uh, police guys rolls up to Fanzone. And it's like, hey, man, what? So what should we do? And Fanzone's just like really on the down low. It's like, you know what? I think I just got a new lead on the case. I'm going to follow this one on my own. And he just kind of like looks over his shoulder at Prowl and Bulkhead. Like, and it's, and it's some really cool blocking, too, because it's like you see... Uh, Bulkhead and Prowl whispering to each other in the background, but you can't hear what they're saying. We know what they're saying because we we heard the first part of that conversation. Presumably the part that we're not privy to is trying to figure out how to get passage onto a cargo ship, question mark. Right, um, right, right. But, but, but I, I do like that it's, uh, it, it's some really cool 
uh, gumshoe police work here on Fan Zone's part. He's like, I think that's a thing that's that's a thing. I'm going to follow these guys and see see what happens. Totally. And kind of an aside, like right after I watched this episode, I also later that night, I watched Gone in 60 Seconds, which is one of my guilty pleasure favorite movies of all time. And the detective in that movie he did the same kind of thing where he was, uh, you know, talking to them, doing cop stuff, but very subtly, right? Like he's mm-hmm. walking around the room looking for clues. He sees something. I was like, oh, this is a great cop thing. And it kind of even reinforced how well uh, how well written this episode was. It also establishes that Fanzone is no dummy. He, yeah. he, may, he may be oafish right. and, you know, definitely played for a laugh, but... He is a good cop and he is smart. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Until he decides to start driving a submarine. And (laughs) speaking of the of the current times that we're in this, um, all of this submarine imagery made me retroactively incredibly uncomfortable. Like there's a poor timing for this one. It really is, you know, for for this uh, cartoon episode from 2008 is suddenly poor timing for 2023. But like even like when we first see those those submersibles, like when we first go to the crime scene and you see these little submersibles bubbling out in the in the water there. And I'm like, oh, yeah, um, I, I even I even wrote in my notes, I. I hope those submersibles aren't made out of carbon fiber, which is uh, which is incredibly tasteless. But like, but this whole sequence here with with Fanzone struggling with the controls of the submersible, and he sees that the hatch is open and it's filling with water. That that gave me some uh, timely peril chills that I don't think I was looking for. It, it I did kind of get a, get a little bit of anxiety about it. Right. Yeah, I hear you there. I guess to take it a different route uh, for a couple of things to unpack, I was kind of confused. Is this a police issue submersible or is this like the private submersible of Mrs. Fanzone that he was borrowing for an evening? Like, wh- where did this where did this device come from? Oh, no. Oh, Michael <laughs> Andrews. Why did you put me I've on that train of thought? <laughs> because because now this is the incident that we don't talk about with Mrs. Fanzone. She went <laughs> she went into a submersible and got imploded. So this is a Sumdeck Industries uh, yeah. submersible and... Unfortunately, yeah, that, that lady got vaporized oh, instantly. No. Oh, no, uh, I don't like it. I don't like any of that. That's very, very uncomfortable. Well, now it's very hard to laugh, but I want to one more time because uh, <laughs> this thing, this submersible was giving me major vibes of Ace Ventura 2 with the kind of hot in these rhino situation, <laughs> which is one of my all time favorite scenes <laughs> and quotes from a movie. Right. Like talk about out of context quote kind of hot in these rhinos but yeah uh fanzo's in there getting a little sweaty getting a little hot under the collar uh yeah in 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 a device that he probably shouldn't have been piloting in the first place mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but enough of that now they've now that we're back on the island uh so the, well anyway the submersible sinks yada 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 that's i can't say any more about that because of well the- it fills with water and he washes up on the beach and the hatch opens and he spills out and there's water there and 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 so we've we've made it. We have returned. Yeah. In an act of pure fantasy, he survived the submersible. Uh uh-huh. and 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 then Prowl is uh on the island with Bulkhead already, and they're following some tracks. And this is a great little mystery moment of someone else has been on this island. That was one of those lines that gave me chills. 
Uh, I love that. I love that. Um, yeah. And then fan zone comes ashore. Prowl, Prowl deactivates the hollow projector. And I really liked that because again, that's paying attention to the hollow projector that was already set out. There could have been, you know, they probably didn't need to make that reference to that device at all, uh, but they did. And so it's a nice little throwback. But when the hollow projector gets deactivated, the Dinobots are missing. Uh, they expected to see them there and now they aren't. And then who shows their face from on high meltdown? Another character I forgot entirely was in this episode. Yeah, I I wrote down in my notes. Oh, snap. With two exclamation points. Prometheus Black is back. Yes. Oh, it's so cool. Yeah, it's it was fun to see him again. It's like it's like that old buddy thing, right? Even if you didn't love Meltdown the first time, seeing him again, it's sort of like, all right, we're back, we're comfortable, we're on Tatooine here. Here's something that you know that feels good. Yeah. So with Sari missing, uh, Bulkhead, I thought this was really interesting. Uh, now that Sari's in danger, Bulkhead laments that they didn't let Sumdak just melt down the Dinobots. Oh, we should have let Sumdak melt them down like you wanted to. No. They were more than just mindless machines. They had a spark, a life force. We had to save them. So who's going to save Sari? Um, I thought that was quite a reversal from him and it, and then also a great move to like drive some tension between him and Prowl because you know before him and Prowl were on the same page, now it's like, no, Sari's in trouble. Fuck the Dinobots. Yeah. Yeah, and and that and that's a thread that continues throughout. Like some of the things that that Bulkhead says as as the episode goes along is is uncomfortable it's like he yeah he, he's ju he's just got no time for these foolios when i'm done with them they're gonna be left in pieces and this is where i think like it's like some accidental great writing is slipping into what could totally just i mean they didn't need to do that they didn't need to drive a wedge between uh bulkhead and prowl but they did and it's great it's better for it mm-hmm uh, so yeah, but the next thing is that, uh, that we see that Meltdown has indeed captured Sari. Um, so we have visual confirmation now and we have visual confirmation that Colossus Rhodes is back. His little lad yeah. <laughs> survived that last episode. It was nice seeing that little buddy too. Um, and he's still in his little form. He's not, he's not big Bane buddy yet. He's still the little guy. And so I was going to bring up here. I'm glad that they brought this guy back because I didn't realize the last time around the the story around Colossus Rhodes name, which was interesting. Last time we recorded the show uh, that had Colossus Rhodes in it, I was just like, cool, this is the guy's name. But it actually comes from uh, the Colossus of Rhodes, which is one of the seven wonders of the world is where his his nickname is a play on. And oh. I found that out. So we recorded the episode and then later that night we went to a party at a friend's house and we were playing a trivia game. And that was the question that came up for me. Uh, the Colossus of Rhodes. And, and I was like, oh my God, that's that that references. That's why that's such a unique name for that character. So just a little uh, history lesson, since I'm a history buff, the Colossus yeah. of Rhodes was actually a statue of the Greek god uh, Helios. And it was erected in the city of Rhodes on the Greek island of the same name by Chars of Lindos in 280 BC, probably butchering that. But there's kind of a mystery surrounding it, right? Because, uh, you know, one of the questions that comes up when you're Googling this is, has the Colossus of Rhodes been found? And it says, sadly, the huge and tall Colossus of Rhodes that symbolized victory and unity only ended up in the trade market for metal scraps 
Um, but despite the destruction of the statue with its remains are no longer found these days, there's like nothing left of this massive statue. And one of the reasons why wow. it's, you know, this wonder of the world is because it was just huge for the time. I mean, for 280 BC, this thing was like a monstrous uh, undertaking to make something this big and this, uh, you know, realistic looking. And there's no remains of it left. Like wow. you just have to know from like a word of mouth standpoint that at this point that it existed, there's nothing left to be seen of it. That's wild. And kind of, kind of shaking more things loose. You know, when we first meet Colossus Rhodes, it's from the context of this stunt wrestling match with Bumblebee. And it got me thinking like, you know, I'm kind of, I've kind of retired from pro wrestling fandom, but the name Rhodes is significant in the, in the realm of wrestling. You yeah. Know, you got, today, you, you, yeah. Still today. Yeah. Cause yeah. Cody Rhodes is, is Cody definitely Rhodes, a Dusty Rhodes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So uh, I, I don't, I don't think we made either of those connections um, at, at the time, but right. Uh, but yeah, that's, well, right, that's it's a, a great metaphor because right. It, it started as uh being erected the giant, the most giant sculpture in the world, and then they get smashed down to bits. So it fits for what that character is. And then also there's the wrestling metaphor. There's like yeah. layers there that I think it's, it's really very layered, great. which I, I thought is, is very, uh, very cool. I do like this little bit of, uh, barbing back and forth between, uh, Colossus Rhodes and sorry, because they're, <laughs> they're both tiny people just yelling at each other. Right. Right. <laughs> Just uh, sorry, getting into a, uh, another altercation with a little old man. Uh, you know, if it's not Ratchet, it's it's Colossus uh, Rhodes. So. Uh, sorry, Sumdak, Scourge of the Elderly. Yeah, <laughs> for being someone that was elderly herself for a minute, uh, right? you should be better at this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. So I, uh, uh, I was thinking about the, this earlier. I, I had written down a note and I thought I had it out of place, but I, I wrote down fan zone escapes death again uh from a rolling log and there's 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 this intercutting where as bulkhead and prowl are looking for the dinobots fanzone is on their trail but in doing so this dude has a number of calamities and and almost dies many many times yeah he's trying to be like the silent tale of these two autobots but he just keeps getting you know Romancing the stone jungle fucked. You know, oh my gosh. Yes. At him. <laughs> um, yeah. And so finally he has to uh, reveal himself because the bot and the bots hear his cry for help because he's fallen into what is arguably the deadliest cartoon trap. The one we were all led to believe would be a huge problem as an adult uh, quicksand. He is starting to sink in a, in a pile of quicksand. Great trope. Got to see it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, ha unfortunately has to ask for help from the one thing he hates most in the world, the machines. Right. And 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 even Prowl is like, wait a sec. I think I hear something. And and he has like, I mean, just just a, a weird, weird line delivery here because the, it, it's almost like um, spaced out. He's like, that sounded like Captain Fanzone. It's like oh, it's like weird it, the, emphasis the on it. Yeah, yeah. The he he puts the weird emphasis and inflection on it. It's like fan zone. Put the put the emphasis on the wrong syllable, as it were. Yes, <laughs> yes. A captain of fan zone. 
Right. <laughs> the guy don't know. They only but, have but, some of the Italian language track. Uh, it must have got garbled. They had to use that, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so Bulkhead has to use his wrecking ball fist uh, to create a tow rope for him. I thought that was pretty cool because yeah, that is how you have to get out of quicksand from what I understand. It's pretty much the only way to rock. So that was handy that he has that fist. Um, and so Fanzone is saved. I think this is great, and I think this is a total Captain Fanzone moment because he just immediately begins reprimanding them, barking at the bots about treading on an island. Um, and it's also a good little info dump because he mentions that it's an abandoned research facility. So now we have a little context to what this island is. But I just think it's great. He just goes from being like desperate, help me, help me, to do you know how many laws you've just violated sort of thing. <laughs> Well, and, and it starts with Prowl being like, Captain Fanzo, what what the hell are you doing here? He's like, ah, ask the questions, robot. <laughs> it's, it's like, this is you, my you, interrogation. This You're out of your jurisdiction. <laughs> it's like, you are in no position to be given these bots the business. Literally. I mean, yeah, could there be a worse position right. for a human to be? Right. Help me, help me, help me. <laughs> But yeah, it's it's like you said that this this info dump of this abandoned island research facility in the middle of Lake Erie question mark exclamation point. Yeah, that yeah, that seems- kind of creeped me out, and I liked it, uh, in, in you know in a good way. But then I also wondered. I tried to put myself in like bulkhead and prowess shoes. Like I wonder if when they said that they were like, oh shit, it's a what? Like we didn't know that when we stashed them there. <laughs> kind of a bust. Oh man. Um, but then so then we cut back to meltdown. Uh, who's telling Rhodes that, uh, you know, see that our guest is comfortable while well, he gre- greets his guests personally. And I just loved it. I didn't catch it right away, but this is something like it's sort of like old horror. Um, you know, the music is played up, the macabre of it all. There's something yeah. very like Vincent Price waiting for his guest. Or I I mean, it's probably more Fantasy Island, right? And Colossus Rhodes is the tattoo of, of the Fantasy Island situation. If anyone gets that reference anymore. Yeah. But yeah, I thought Every, that was great. everybody gets those references. Trust me, we've right. seen the tweets. <laughs> so I, well, have have you seen the remake of Fantasy Island that came out like you know very early, like late twenty nineteen, early twenty twenty? My wife likes it. I hung tough for like two episodes and had to punch out. It wasn't for me. Oh, I'm I'm guess I'm talking about the movie. There's this movie Fantasy oh, Island, oh, the remake. Oh, the, the remake. The, the A24 elevated horror type of thing. No, I passed on that. I heard it was awful. Yeah, it was not great. And here's where I had a moment because it was before everything shut down for COVID. That was the last movie I saw in theaters. And I remember going through COVID being like, was that going to be my last movie experience? If we never go, if Ooh. movies die and we never go to movies again, am I going to be telling my grandkids like, yeah, well there, we had these talkies and the last one I saw was this terrible remake. Fantasy Island. Yeah. <laughs> Were there any big uh, names in it? Not really. Uh, no. well, how was the acting? No, don't ask. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that was, uh, that was my big fear through COVID. My only fear during COVID. That was the only thing I was afraid of. That was going to be my last. No, I'm being <laughs> But yeah, so there again, there's something sort of like macabre about uh, Meltdown. I love how they're playing him up in this. And He's very theatrical. I, yes. I love it. Again, yeah, very, I very like Vincent this. Price. Uh, an, another reference that you snatched from my mind before I had a chance oh, to say well, I'm it. Glad, yeah, I'm I, I was, I was right on that. that. Good. Yeah, good, good. you even hear like organ music and stuff. It, it's very. Oh, totally. It, 
Yeah. There's like riffs of organ, like really theatrical organ music playing in the background. Uh, Love it. It's, it's definitely being done on purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, so back in the wild, um, this unlikely trio that we have now encounters the Dinobots and Prowl being Prowl tries the peaceful approach. Uh, he, he, you know, these are our old friends. They should be able to listen to reason. Everyone else has this episode, right? Um, but no, the Dinobots just attack them. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're mm-hmm. so good. And and then Bulkhead being so inflamed from uh, sorry going missing and all this shit he's had to go through, he just goes back into battle, right? He remembers the last time he fought the Dinobots. He had to do what he does best, which is just wreck the joint. Uh, so he he takes a stab at the Dinobots. Leading up to that, there there's this dialogue where Fanzone, again, in doing good police work, he knows that these two dummies are holding something back. And and he's even yes. explicitly saying, there's something you're not telling me. And, yeah. and there, there, there is there is still a a distrust there. And when when you get the the encounter with the Dinobots and you know we, we talked about this earlier but like the uh, uh, Prowl and Bulkhead are still kind of jabbing back and forth but Bulkhead says something to the effect here it's like yeah no fuck those guys cause they're mean and dumb and we should have never let them escape and, and just, just being like really uh, reductive um, yeah. about it but then that leads to this really kind of profoundly heart-wrenching sequence after Bulkhead kind of wails on him for a while and um and you see the acid burns on the Dinobots. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's a really like sad moment. You, yeah, you're absolutely right. There's sort of this great um, you know, detective work thing. It it almost reminded me of the dichotomy of the main characters from uh, Mystic River, if you're a fan of the book or movie, where everyone's kind of got their own intentions, their own secrets. We as the audience know it and that's half the fun. Uh, but yeah, then this then this attack happens and Prowl and Fanzone get picked up by Swoop and that's when Prowl notices that there's like acid burns on the feet of the Dinobot. And then that's right. That's right. This is where detective Prowl comes in and starts piecing him to things together because now he needs to know that someone with like a hot acid touch, um, has laid hands on these poor creatures. Um, and yeah, it's, it's pretty clear that it would have to be meltdown. That's kind of their only villain that falls, checks all those boxes, you know? Right. Then you get an awesome scene where Prowl transforms and fan zone gets a ride on him, And it's like, Lost World Jurassic Park scene where all of a sudden they're driving through this prehistoric situation. Uh, I really loved it. I really appreciated the animation here. Um, mm-hmm. Getting ahead of myself a little bit, Prowl does this a lot in this episode. There's a lot of good like transitions from him being like robot to motorcycle very fast using yeah. the motorcycle. I was really impressed with that this episode. You know, if I if I had seen this episode before I saw Rise of the Beasts, I would have made more of a connection there. But basically, his stunts are kind of similar to what Arcee does in in Rise of the Beasts, where you know she's she's very gymnastic and everything is like a a flip back and forth. And granted, yeah. she doesn't do she doesn't use it for combat as effectively as Prowl does here. But I I. 
I haven't seen a whole lot of motorcycle characters used effectively in Transformers, so I really appreciated um, the the way that Prowl utilizes his alt mode here, and and I love the team up stuff with Fanzone. Like I, you know, if you, there's very few vehicles where you can interact with a human like that and i love how it goes from like robot to you know how basically fan zone being atop the motorcycle and riding it and and back and forth really cool stuff yeah super awesome yeah so right about here uh meltdown appears um and so it's finally revealing himself uh to be the the, the mastermind behind this grand scheme and I think this is a really great note because earlier, Mike, you called him Prometheus Black. And, and in this moment, Fanzone does the same thing. But Meltdown's done with that name. The name is Meltdown. Yeah. This is who I've, I've uh, you know, I'm associating myself with now. I thought that was a really cool little moment to like show that, you know, that guy's gone. Right. Right. We're, we're dealing with a supervillain again. Um, uh, absolutely. And, and he has the most bone chilling line delivery here where he's talking about how he's subjugated the the dinobots and he says it's true the dinobots have learned to respect my touch yeah oh yeah it just cringe shiver all of the above like this guy's a creep and uh well you know a great villain for that reason to follow it up with Grimlock being being fully cowed and saying, you know, me Grimlock, sorry. And it's just like, mm, I don't like any of this. This yeah. this is this this is wrenching my heart in ways yeah, I don't like. To watch. Well, I mean, it, there was a lot of sympathy for the Dinobots even in that first episode we saw them in. I was already feeling bad. I made that dog metaphor that it needs to get put down, kind of a thing. Um, God, I didn't want to bring that up again, but here we are. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Bulkhead. So Bulkhead. Uh, this is a great moment for Bulkhead too. He's just upset. He goes right to the chase. He's very angry. Um, this is a great performance by Bill Fagerback, right? Like this is. You know, he's for a character that's always kind of been sort of clownish in their delivery. Like this was this was also chilling in a different way. You know, the the vocal performance here. Um, but he goes in and attacks Meltdown and Meltdown just puts him down. Uh, it's a brutal. You know, we were talking about we've talked about that brutal scene in the actually in the other uh, Meltdown episode where there was some like almost like Transformers gore happening. Um but yeah, this happened here. This this acid burn just opens up bulkhead and and shows his guts basically, mm -hmm. um, and it it's a near fatal wound, right? Um, it it takes him out one shot. It's really upsetting, you know, the, the imagery and, and we come back to it a couple times where, you know, you could see like his exposed circuit circuitry and stuff, and it's it's very upsetting. It is interesting, though, Prometheus Black, I'm sorry, Meltdown. Yes. <laughs> uh, he, he is Meltdown from, from here on in. You know, he, he says something earlier about, like, needing an island for his experiments. And it seems that the implication is that he's been here for some time. Because it seems like he's made some modifications. He's kind of built a lair and a, and a yeah. fortress with, with like jail cells and 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 things like that and and bathrooms apparently, which we'll we'll, we'll get to later. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, how long has he been here? Yeah, almost would have had to been immediately after his capture somehow. You know, and and that raises questions that I don't know if we want to get into right now here but 
as first as soon as i first saw meltdown i was like hey cool meltdown is back but then almost immediately it's like why is meltdown back and i this this is kind of one of the first times in tfa where i feel like there's gaps in the narrative either intentionally or unintentionally it was noticeable to me to where it for the first time in this show that feels very serial serialized this feels like it picks up a story that they haven't told and i don't know how i like that yeah i get what you're saying i think there's i do think there's an implication that you know meltdowns like the man that can't be held right like like the uh, very nature of him being so aesthetic means there's probably no prison that can hold him um, unless they're able to generate that sonic force field, which probably takes a lot of juice. Uh, right. I guess. Yeah. You could just say he got away, but, but you're right. There is sort of a story missing. There is sort there is something I want to see a little bit like how, how that happened. There could have been another meltdown episode in between there, but on the second hand, uh, you know, it's kind of fun to see him in this moment, pop back up again. I, I don't know which one I want. I'm, I'm of two minds. Yeah, I, I guess what I would have liked is a line of dialogue here where it's like, oh, yeah, that that Arkham Asylum couldn't hold me. Oh, and sure. and that would that would have fixed it, because right. like I agree with you. I think the the impact of the reveal is so that you it, it wouldn't it wouldn't count or have as much impact if we had seen like a, a news report or something where it's like, oh yeah. And, and super criminal meltdown has escaped from prison. It's like that, that totally undercuts the reveal. So I sure. don't want that, but yeah, I just, I just needed, I just needed something because now it, it feels very Batman to me to where it's just like, oh, well, you know, the red, it, it's a Riddler episode. It's a penguin episode. It's a Joker episode. How did they get here? Doesn't really matter They they just are. Yeah, um, so if this episode had been airing today, uh, we would shortly soon after get like a six episode miniseries about Meltdown exclusive to a streaming <laughs> service that shows exactly how he is. Yes, yes, yes. We're not going to get that here. <laughs> Pre prestige television, though, not for nothing. I just watched the uh, episode of Strange New Worlds that incorporates the Lower Decks characters, that crossover episode. Oh, wow. So, and, and phenomenal episode, by the way. It, it's it, it's a terrific celebration of both shows. Go check it out. Fans of both shows are, are very well serviced as well as Trek fans in general. Oh, I'm excited. I bring this up only because now that that's so fresh in my mind, I... I really kind of want to see Peter Stormare in a in a in a meltdown outfit. I think that would be kind of cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a live a live action meltdown would be. Sweet. Yeah, I mean, at least give him a a jacket with the flared Elvis collar. I mean, oh, at the yeah. very least. <laughs> Yo, <Hands> <laughs> down. Uh, yeah. All right. Well, back to the show. Uh, so, so yeah. So so he's he's built a fortress basically with like trap doors and all kinds of other traps in there. It's crazy right, underground yeah, bunkers so and whatnot. Right. So that's how he gets the other two is the the trap door opens and uh, Prowl and Vansone fall in. And uh, the scene when Prowl's coming to was really nice because it's uh, Fanzone was being surprisingly sympathetic. Uh, there was sort of a tenderness in his voice. He was really actually afraid that, you know, this machine, quote unquote, wasn't going to wake up. You can definitely tell from that. So that was a nice touch. But again, this is where another little bit of great writing comes in, um, because now 
in their conversation back and forth, uh, there, there's more of a ticking clock here than I than I think we even needed, right? Because Prowl needs to get to Sari because her key may be the only thing to keep uh, Bulkhead alive. Like now Bulkhead's maybe dying uh, somewhere. They're trapped in here. They're separated from Sari. Now it's not just we need to get Sari back. It's Bulkhead's going to die if we can't also find Sari. So I love that this is getting, you know, layered. He literally says only the key can save him, yeah. which that that has implications that I I don't know if I'm comfortable with because, you know, th- there's been a lot of key legislation, but also now going back to the beginning of the episode, it's like, okay, well, we need to teach Sari self-defense so she can defend herself because people are after the key. Now it's like the the key is the key to everything. It's like... I, I I don't know. Maybe maybe it just hit me funny, but like it seems like the Autobots are now kind of weirdly beholden to the key in a way that I don't know if they were previously. Yeah, I think there's well, I think there's definitely uh, the spirit spirituality of it is coming back mm-hmm. into play, right? Like they all kind of knew it was associated with the AllSpark, but they all had different levels of how what they believed in the AllSpark and what that was to them. Yeah, um, and I think now they all had that. Well, they've all been touched by it, right? Now they've seen that it's more important than just her little toy that she's playing with. Um, and I also think this scene, you know speaks to how bad that wound was on bulkhead i think i think if we didn't if it visually wasn't reinforced now we know like that was bad uh even by transformer standards like yeah this isn't good so along with that clock as it begins ticking uh meltdown reveals his plot fully and i think this is a great uh evolution of meltdown and and what his intentions were and what we know of him that now we know he wants to make a human transformer uh, mm-hmm. He he was into the biochemical makeovers. He loves the idea of change. He sees the Autobots. He battles the Autobots. He becomes obsessed with the Autobots in his downtime. And now he wants to make one. Now he wants to make one better. He's almost the character, um, the scientist from Transformers Age of Extinction. He wants to make a better Transformer. And yeah. he thinks the, the way to do this is, uh, you know, starting with a human. And I think this is fantastic because... Not only is that his big idea, but his also it's a great revenge plot because the the he realizes it needs to be a child and he uses the child of his enemy, the guy that ruined his life the first time, Isaac Sumdak. So this is a twofold plot, right? He's going to get ahead scientifically and he's also going to get, you know, revenge on the guy that screwed him over. And I I love this villain monologue here and and it's just mm. dripping dripping with that Peter Stormare smarminess and it's just yeah. oh it's so good. He's like so he says better than the daughter of my arch rival, the bane of my existence, the simpering fool who is unworthy to lick the mud off the heels of my platform shoes. That's <laughs> so good. Oh yeah, that's so good. And it, you know, it's almost as if his words are dripping with acid. If I may uh-huh. be a little writery for a minute. Yeah, yeah. Well, and he even does like a little, like kind of like Nicolas Cage, like yeah. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> it's a yeah, great it's line. Really good. It's really good. Um, and as if we haven't had like cameos, surprises, twists in this episode. Another element of this episode that I forgot is that we see his failed experiments. It's the friggin' pretenders. 
Right. I mean, oh, we go down, we see these cages, we see these silhouettes, and all of a sudden we ha- were treated to the animated design style of Submarauder and Bomburst. Or mm-hmm. if you're a Super God Master Force fan, which I am, Gilmer and Blood. Nice. I wanted to bring it up, Mike, while we're at it, while we're seeing these pretenders now for the first time. Yeah. Were you a fan of the Pretenders? Did you have any as a kid? Have you seen Super God Master Force? Like, what's your, I guess, nostalgia level for Pretenders? Kind of no, no, and no. Um, <laughs> I, I, ha- I, I haven't seen Master Force. And interestingly enough, around the time Pretenders came around, so they, they were part of what, maybe like the 1988 line, maybe 89. Um, that was right about the time I was transitioning out of Transformers. Like... You know, I I was I I think that's probably when I was bigger into Nintendo. Um, I I was still very much into GI Joe, and I think that was about the the time I was getting into Ninja Turtles also. Oh yeah. So so it was it was the the influx of other toy lines that I think were kind of pulling my attention away from uh from Transformers. So unfortunately for like that latter period of American G1 I have relatively little nostalgia for it I've I've never owned any of the pretenders figures hmm. um I know I know they're very popular um uh, amongst folks I know uh, uh 60 talks about the hats for the human pretenders yeah. on 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 triple takeover quite often because there's a lot of paint scuffing and things like that sure. but like I mean I I think my nostalgia for the pretenders is more towards their G1 comic counterparts like like Bludgeon and his gang when oh, when they sure. show up in the latter bit of the Marvel run but outside of that yeah I don't I don't it's it's not really a subgroup that I I have a lot of affection for yeah you know for a long time it was very similar for me uh I think I had some pretenders toys just because you know that's when my parents got into buying me stuff a little bit more like i was able to get some of that stuff uh, instead of like the vintage g1 stuff um Mm -hmm. but later in life i discovered super god master force and that's when i kind of started actively collecting pretenders as sort of like being a fan of that show i love super god master force and i am gonna break some hearts but i'm gonna say that is like my favorite uh, I guess if you'd call that G1 continuity, the 80s era of animated Transformers, that's my favorite of all of them, of of Headmasters, of Victory, of, of G1 itself. I'm a Super God Master Force fan. The plot is so wild, so original. Um, characters are so cool. It's so zany. It's so very, you know, anime. They didn't have any source material really that they had to be beholden to. They just got to do their own thing. And it is better for it it is just bonkers you know and and talk about blind spots like all of the japanese exclusive stuff is is a huge blind spot for me it's like really the way i've been experiencing headmasters is through episode of transformers university where he's he's going through you know chronologically year by year which includes like episode recaps so he he's been talking about like the the omni dubs and you know kind of comparing and contrasting like different titles and things like that but it, it it's it's interesting recaps i have it on dvd but I, but i haven't watched it just for some reason it just hasn't really been something on my radar and i know 
uh, victory has been on people's minds recently with obviously the the tandem uh, back-to-back successful Haslabs for Victory oh, right. Saber and now uh, Deathsaurus. But in, in the chronology, where does Master Force fit in? Is that is that in between Headmasters and Victory or is yes. it later? Yep, it's yep between those two. So Headmasters was sort of finishing off, uh, you know, the plot that came out of the movie storyline and then mm-hmm. Super God Master Force was just its own thing. They really took it in a different direction. And then and then I feel like Victory kind of reined it back into like a little bit more tied to the source material. I think they get progressively better. Um, I think Headmasters, I've seen them all. Headmasters kind of a slog. I keep watching Super God Master Force over and over again. I love it. And then I've seen uh, Victory all the way through once. Interesting. That's yeah. uh that that may be something uh, for us to to check out. I, I I'm not proposing we do a recap podcast no, or whatever. I but you're ready to. I would love to yeah. one day. Uh, or if anyone's doing one, please have me on because I would yeah. love to talk about that show. But how, uh, many, how, how many episodes? Oh, that's a great question. I don't know that right off the top of my okay. head. Okay. Yeah, we um, we could we can investigate that later offline. But yeah, maybe we can we can um, uh, by the time we get through. Beast Machines and Transformers Prime and whatever the hell yeah, else right. people wants to go through in the far flung future of 2157 when we finally have time for it. Maybe we'll go through uh, episodes of Super God Master Force. Right. Some someone has already tweeted us the answer to this question. I think if we just take a minute. And <laughs> check. Yep. Uh, no. So uh, but yeah, it was really it was really fun for me as a big fan of uh, SGM. I was really fun for me to uh, see these guys again and to see them in in animated form. Um, these were really cool. And they're, you know, obviously, even, you know, this is a very like they're very like grotesque mutant versions of, you know, these aren't even by animated stamp standards these aren't faithful recreations of the original these are kind of their own gross you know monster type things yeah they're pretty wicked looking the the design on these creatures is incredibly gnarly and it kind of speaks to the villainy of meltdown like this this is how far his madness has taken him yeah well it's very like um uh this there's like shredder in ninja turtles 2 secret of the ooze right like yeah they're mistakes but he doesn't want to throw them away because you know they do have their merits um but but he but in making them he realized his mistake is that he needed a human that was still growing uh and that's when he figures out that you know sorry was the key or a child was a key um and that's just a bit of geniusness but now we're here they're in the all of a sudden i realized what was happening at this moment right like here we have fans on and prowl they're trapped in a pit these you know this goes up like there's going to be a fight uh and i'm scared i you know, had a like actual moment of scaredness here um and i was wondering if you got a bit of this vibe i got a bit of like the cup and hot rod in the quinison pit vibe uh it, even because even there's that line where um, Fanzone says, you know, this is cruel and unusual punishment. You hear me? Very much reminded me of the, I've got nothing but contempt for this court. Right. It was sort yeah. of like a court vibe <laughs> uh, theme going yeah. on. Yeah. Well, it's certainly, and, and again, it, it kind of has double meaning since yeah. he's a cop. Oh, and yeah. Absolutely. So yeah, it, it's, it's kind of interesting and ironic in a, in a different kind of, kind of way, but yeah, it, uh, it, it certainly has those vibes and there's, there's feeling of genuine dread and peril, I think for, for our heroes. 
Yeah. Well, and then meanwhile, so like after you're experiencing all this, the meltdown's new henchman, you cut back to Rhodes, who I think this is funny that you have, you know, the the henchman creature from the first time we've met Meltdown. Now he's just he's a little guy the whole episode, right? And he's yeah. experiencing his own form of punishment in that Sari uh, needs constant bathroom breaks apparently, <laughs> <laughs> and now he's stuck babysitting. Well, and it's funny because like it it, it underscores a, a running joke because they do this gag a couple times throughout the uh, uh throughout the episode but yeah we cut to Rhodes and he's just like beating on the door he's lamenting how many times does a kid need to go to the bathroom <laughs> which uh if you've ever been around little kids it's it's a lot it's a lot it's yeah. it's it's high. It's very high. <laughs> very high. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but but it is it is kind of interesting because I, I I'm I'm wondering if it if it is a combination of her genuinely needing to go to the bathroom a lot or like what else is she doing? Because I mean, Rhodes actually asked this as well, but we see that she's trying to figure out a way out uh, of the of this prison. But I, I'm wondering if like with each trip, is she like looking a little bit or is it is it like a uh, Shawshank Redemption type of thing where she's got like the poster <laughs> against the wall and she's like gradually tunneling out yeah. or something like that? Yeah, you have to um, how many times she really had to go to the bathroom before she put together this plan or if she's been doing it, uh, working on it every time. <laughs> but it is interesting. You kind of get uh, Chekhov's key shaped slot here in the bathroom. Cause like, there's like this panel here and I'm just like, well, I, I know what goes there. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, right. And that's, that's another great reference. Throw another reference at you. This, this prank that she pulls is straight out of the mummy returns, the Brennan Fraser one, uh, where Brennan oh Fraser's my God, yes. escapes from the train, uh, in the same way with the toilet bit. Um, but yeah, ask Rhodes for help with this, the toilet, which is faulty, which may be true. But she ends up giving him like a cyber swirly, right? And shouts yes. <laughs> and shorts out his techno implants. Yep. And uh, that's Sari's in ingenuity shining through. We always love to see that. Um, back in the pit, this is awesome. We get a great shot of Prowl's battle mask going up. Did you catch that? I like sure did. Zoomed in on his face. It's a heated moment. And, and that's click, click, click. Yeah. Right. That's the that's the one, two, three go of like how the fight scene starts. That mask goes up and it's it's all there visually. It's not like a pulled back far away shot. It's it's like an Optimus hero moment shot. Yeah. And you get good use of his tired knees. Like yeah. like because like, I mean, are his tires like in his is it knees or his thighs or basically like I, either way you get use of his vehicle mode tires while he's in robot mode yeah yeah that's really sweet Get, getting some good use of that in uh in in combat here but there's um you you had alluded to this earlier that this fight is very dynamic and it's dynamic the way that fanzone and prowl team up and you get like a lot of like combo attacks where it's like prowl is like uh, running up a wall and switches into motorcycle mode and then swings back around it's like almost like in a in a weird mission impossible 2 kind of way where we're just swinging motorcycles <laughs> around <laughs> truly yeah oh yeah it's it's a sweet battle scene and i love to see like fanzone also kicking ass in it that's what's pretty cool about it like 
you know, the, it's not just like protect the human kind of a thing. They're they're sort of almost portrayed as equals in this in this fight, which is really cool. Very much so. I I love that uh, uh, Fanzone does this uh, this Liu Kang bicycle kick where it's like <laughs> so Prow grabs him by the wrist and he's like start kicking your legs and he's like just like it's very cartoonish but he like swings him around as he's like bicycle kicking these uh these goons and again it, it culminates in this sweet moment where you know Fanzone is like kicking his legs and Prowl just kind of like flips and transforms under him and and you yeah. get some uh, you get some sweet motorcycle stuff it's very very cool it was such a fluid transition to like pick him up use him as a weapon uh knock out all the pretenders uh transition back into a bicycle all the while this is happening sorry has escaped and deactivates the laser shield from behind them so now they can escape mm -hmm. like there's quite a confluence of events like i know yeah. how i would write this showing it visually i was really surprised that they were actually able to get this all into one one quick scene yeah, to um, yank all those threads together cleanly. Yeah, just great job. They just did a great mm -hmm. job with it. Um, and now, now the three have escaped um, this pit, this nightmarish pit that they were in. Yeah, and we get back to Bulkhead, who, um, for lack of a more elegant phrase, is fucked up. Uh, yeah, we see the gaping wound. It's it's even worse than we remember. And uh, Sari uses her key, and it's it's proper. When I had a note of like, do we still have to drink for this? Is the, this isn't a shenanigan use of the key? This is uh, no, yeah, this is like actually what it's meant to do, and and the wound to her credit just Wolverine's shut right. It's yeah, instant healing powers saves the day. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Really and really cool animation. I love I love the use of like a very organic movement when it's uh you know when we're talking about machines and robots and gears. And there, there's this um, uh, tender moment where Bulkhead is kind of disorientated, and yeah. he he thinks that he's rescued Sorry, or he doesn't understand why she's there. Sorry, you're okay. I found you. How'd I do that? Right. But, basi but basically, she she tells him it's like, well, <laughs> you're the best. Oh, you yeah. know, it's 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 an incredibly bonding moment from them. So any friction from Sound and Fury is gone. They're 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 yeah, they're they're back. They're I mean, back like best buddies. For yeah, sure. like like JT that they're, they're back back again. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Bring it back. I love to see it. Um, but yeah, so Meltdown appears with the dying. Th this would have been a nice little moment. Like we save the day. Q rolled the credits. But no, Meltdown appears again with the Dinobots. Um, and I love this little battle fight scene thing because uh sorry does her move she she distracts him with the with the kitty kick i call it and uh <laughs> so and it's all a distraction so that prowl can drop the real one which is yeah awesome. like that was such a cool thing and i just wrote down prowl knocks him the fuck out meltdown is <laughs> down for balance. yeah it was awesome then things get a little weird because the next thing we see is fan zone wrapping him up in what looks like a sheet like, is that his cape? I rewatched this over and over again, and I couldn't figure out what that was that he was wrapping him up in. Prior to that, when uh, after the creatures are defeated and Sari disables the lasers, 
they go down this tunnel and Fanzone sees like a rack of suits. There, there's these uh, protective suits, which are oh. just are just the the Prometheus black suits. Later, the the outfit that Meltdown is wearing. So sure. we know that that is protective against Meltdown's corrosive powers. Now, why there's a half dozen of them, I don't know. But but Fanzone grabs one thinking that it's going to be handy for later. He even says like, ah, this might be handy for later. Oh, I totally missed that. Uh, well, that actually makes a ton of sense because uh, for Meltdown though, because uh, he's sort of like a Lando Calrissian type. Like I can believe him having all these, you know, suits on a rack. Oh yeah. I like coat, like a fashion, fashion thing. Right. I like that take on it. Now I thought something that I was hoping for that I didn't get. I was hoping that fan zone was going to have to don the protective suit so that, oh, that uh, you know, so cool. that he could be protected from the acid. But since it wasn't, um, I, I just, I just wanted to see Fanzone with the flared collar. I just, yeah, I just thought that, yeah. the, and this like is the, normally oh, too much flash for me, but I guess for this situation, <laughs> it's fine. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Um, but yeah, so, and, and so he grabs that protective suit and then they, uh, they Indiana Jones out of, out of the thing. Cause like the, the, the door is coming down and prowl basically like scoops them up and like motorcycles through it. He leaves like back to the future, like, like bike trails, tire tracks oh, underneath yeah. the door as they Indiana Jones through there. But anyway, wow. so long, long way of saying that's what meltdown gets wrapped up in is in this protective suit that, uh, that fan zone grabbed on their way out. That's great news because I thought this was the first time that we were, you know, uh, in a very well-written show that nothing goes to waste. I was like, did they just pull a sheet out of nowhere and they're just wrapping <laughs> up this uh, indestructible villain in it? Uh, so that's actually really good news for me. Glad, good, yeah. to know, good to know. Well, and it and it underscores, you know, back back to the 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 success of the combo of the the kitty kick, the the ninja nerve uh, attack, and. Um, meltdown is so dismissive and and again i just anytime where i could call out these lines from peter stormare i just love where he's just ha he just has so much contempt <laughs> what was that supposed to be and then prowl's like nope and just you know pops open the the can of hoop ass on him i i love um love that sequence yeah yeah very cool um and now so prowl prowl tries to explain uh that the dinobots don't have to hurt meltdown now that he's incapacitated because now clearly the dinobots standing around they're pissed they've been abused uh they want to fight this guy and prowl you know being a very new age prowl is like you don't have to do what he says look at him he has no power now he cannot hurt you this yeah. is not who you are uh that's very much who they are is what we find out because you know they've been abused grimlock they're pissed and then we see them transform which is even yeah cool. now now the cat's out of the bag these are these aren't just the automatons from uh the jurassic park sort of exhibit right these have life they're cybertronian now in origin and i just i think it's blown away i mean no matter what i don't think you can do the justice of awe that these guys are seeing of oh my gosh yeah these are you know we 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 considered them life before now they definitely undoubtedly are yeah and and it's and there's a lot of tension in this scene because first it's it's kind of a tender moment where prowl is like you know 
it's okay. It's okay. He can't hurt you anymore. Uh, yeah. You're know, referring to to meltdown, but then, as you said, it the the, the tides turn very quickly, um, and and it's this this um, uh, cascade of first the reveal of the of the transformation, which is incredible. I love these designs, and I love that all three are different. Like you know. Um, because even even in robot mode, the other two Dinobots look different than their more traditional G one counterparts. Like right. like like Swoop is a little more lithe, yeah. uh, w- which I like. You know, kind of like a a, a prowl type character. And and I, that's one of the things I love about TFA in general is is that they do have it point of emphasis to have different body types. Not everybody is just like blocky and just uh just a bunch of boxes stacked on each other and and at the same time not everybody's like a super fit transformer or not modeled after like a greek god we got some you know we got some portly ones we got some a little more uh yeah body types you see in the wild whereas whereas snarl still not name dropped in this episode we just know that the triceratops is snarl in tfa and i i wonder you know i'm not going to go back to the slag legislation but it makes me wonder if that was a conscious choice to just address it by not addressing it it's like we're not even going to refer to these characters by name they're just the other dinobots yeah but i think there's something very realistic in that too like or or non-gimmicky right or like not mm. cash grabby name droppy about it like there's still some mystery of who's who and and they don't need to know exactly who's and what yet because that's another layer i think uh we're just learning now that they have life that would be another level of sentience that they could save for like a later episode that's a that's a great point but i as i as i said i i i love the designs of the three of them individually but i love the the dichotomy of of their group together that they're they're three yeah. very different creatures like like um uh, snarl is very brutish i love his face by the way, yes. he's, he's, he's got a really cool face. And um, and as far as their weapons go, like, you know, we, we've seen Grimlock already. You know, he has like this lava rock flame sword, whereas Snarl has a club. I love yep. that it's a club and not just another sword. But then Swoop has like these, it's like nunchucks mace yeah. type of thing but all three have this theme the theme of like the lava rock type thing which i um i i think is is very very cool and we're gonna see that pay off here in just a quick sec but i i love well if i can i was gonna just jump in on the weapons uh they're they're all very cool because they're all like the flaming lava style fiery uh, but all the weapons are very fitting of them too, right? Like yeah. they're, they're sort of themed. Like like you were saying, uh, Snarl's so brutish. The the club makes sense, and the litheness of Swoop. Uh, you get these like this very airy chain link weapon. I, I just thought that was very very fitting. The sort of you know like the hollow bird bones help you fly. Now he's got sort of a a, a very airy weapon i think that's a really nice touch there's some thought put into it i guess absolutely lots of thought put into the design and you had mentioned the the flame effect earlier and i gasped with giddy joy when like basically it's it's an emphasis point like you see that you see them transform you see that they have weapons and and grimlock you know again in this in this gravelly um 
I, I love what David Kay is doing with Grimlock's voice because now that we know that it's David Kay and not Greg Berger, it, it sounds less and less like a, a Greg Berger impersonation, especially here, because when he speaks, he speaks with, uh, from a place of hurt and trauma. So when Grimlock says, Bow down, not her Dinobots. Dinobots had meltdown. I mean, th- there's pain and angst, but yeah. also a, a thirst for vengeance there. And I and I love this moment where their weapons snap on and light up, like like literally, like like flicking a lighter. Just yeah. attitude. It's like whoosh, let's go. It's like oh, they're going to murder this this Jello man. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, in a really cool shot, it's like you see the explosion from space, right? Like it's that it's yeah. that quick cut to a, a wide shot of the island and just this like lava mushroom cloud and you just know something went down. Uh, it was really, really like a uh, tasteful kind of subtle way to, to end that battle. Absolutely. And it, and it goes a way of leaving it to the imagination because like in an episode where we got some pretty cool fights I think if we had another cool fight that would have lessened the impact. I I love that my imagination is telling me that it was so epic that you could see it from space and and so epic that we couldn't actually see it on the ground. It's it is an interesting way to end that fight, but then it also leaves things on a somewhat of an ambiguous note in terms of like the fates of the creatures, the fates of the Island itself, like is the implication that this facility is now destroyed there. It it leaves, it leaves some unanswered questions in a good way because it it leaves threads for, uh, for potential uh, future stuff. But then, but then we, then we get to the slow boat ride home. Right. Right. Uh, yeah, which has like a nice uh, a buddy moment between the three of them, right? Fanzone mm-hmm. Vulcan and Prowl have this buddy moment, and especially between uh, Fanzone and Prowl. And again, reminder: it's just Jeff Bennett talking to himself here, which is makes this scene even even better. Uh, that there's so much interesting character between the two of them, and I liked. Uh, I kept waiting for this final gag of "This is why I hate machines," but they didn't go there. They actually ended on like a tender moment. They're all friends. They all went through this thing together. And it was a very like adult ending. Whereas like me, the hack writer that I am was like, just do one more thing. Just do one more thing to get fan zones line in there. Uh, you know, have them slip on a robotic banana peel and, you know, something <laughs> like that uh, and, and say why he hates machines. But no, they actually went for like the integrity ending. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. Well, and, and there's this, there's, the tying up of the loose end sort of, but not really of the secret of the Dinobots because it's, it's unclear what the fate of the Dinobots are, where the Dinobots even are. And it's, should we, should we tell prime? Should we come clean? And you don't really get, that doesn't really get addressed. And, and that's kind of interesting because now fan zone is part of this secret yeah and and it's like it's one of these things where the problem with lying is that it it becomes 
a avalanche. It becomes a rolling snowball in that once the lie becomes so big, you have no choice but to come clean. And for them to not feel that they're at that point yet is kind of troubling. Right. Like, like Donobot Island has been exploded. You could see it from space. Yeah. Uh, a meltdown is back in custody. They're, they've, they've gone on this slow boat ride trip. There, there's so many things with regards to this adventure that to the point where we're still trying to litigate whether we need to come clean to Optimus is upsetting. Yeah, and it's it's like one last final blow for this show because uh, they're doing a great job of wrapping everything up. And you think this is the obvious finale scene, right? We're mm-hmm. sorry, Optimus. Uh, we've made, you know, that'd be the very like kitty heroic version of this ending. But no, what we get is like, oh, it's actually getting worse. We got another person on the secret and we're, you know, doubling down on it, tripling down on it now. Yeah, and, and I like that this episode has a half dozen endings. It's almost like a return of the King type of situation where it's like, it keeps having good beats and notes to, uh, to end on because you, you've got the, the reprise, obviously, like, like you just said about the, the bulkhead, uh, sorry thing where, you know, he cartoonishly Pratt falls into the hold of the ship. He's like, I'm good. I'm good. But then yeah. you, you get, you get this button on fan zone Who's like, I still ain't so sure about teaching ninja moves to eight year olds, but still seeing the value in sorry, being able to defend herself. And what we've also seen is that sorry can defend herself in a number of different ways. Like I, I think that while Fanzone and prowl did a okay job holding off the creatures, if not for Sari's intervention, that that fight could have turned on them and probably would have at some point. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think we were seeing Fanzone see how capable uh, Sari was. And so that's another, you know, that was a, a question I didn't even realize we needed answered. But yeah, earlier in the show, he was like an eight year old learning ninja nerd, like didn't see you know, any of the merit of sorry being involved in any of this. And now it's like, well, yeah, you'd be dead though, if not for her. So I guess she can, you didn't rescue her at all. Uh, she came to your rescue. So she is actually more capable than you give her credit for. Exactly. And Fanzone seems to have a lack of perspective on his own mortality. I mean, he's, he almost died a half dozen times in this episode, you know, between like the submarine adventure and the misadventures through the jungle and then the quicksand and then the thing with the, the creatures and, uh, and the encounter with meltdown. It's just, yeah, it's, it's very interesting how cavalier he is with regards to his own mortality. Right, right. Absolutely. That's a dude that needs to have a Barbie like existential crisis. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Definitely <laughs> do for one. Uh, yeah. So, th- so there we are at the end. I, I also combed the TF wiki to make sure there was nothing that you needed to see uh, or that you could see or couldn't see, but I didn't, 
I didn't actually take too much away from it uh, as far as like trivia or anything else we didn't cover, but I did think it was really interesting in the notes on the TF wiki page for this episode. Um, there was just this ominous little bullet that said the notion of creating non-mechanical organic transformers is not new in transformers lore. And there's a little hidden link in there. And when you click it, um, you won't get this reference, Mike, but my beast machines, brothers and sisters will, because, uh, there was it linked to an episode or an article about Noble, which is a character from Beast Machines that that uh, spoiler alert doesn't have an it's like two organic alt modes is oh. is what it has like there's no there's no vehicle side it's like creature to creature transformation um it's like a it's like a Beast Wars character without the bot right oh I got gotcha. you I got gotcha. you um so yeah this that was really interesting that the, the another little uh, Beast Machines tie into this to transformers animated so love to see that that's really cool and now that we've gotten that out of the way <laughs> you, got, you drop the g1 score on us here Mike? Yeah, it's time for the g1 score so uh, i i know that we appreciate legislation on the show and you've uh, said that some, word too many times this episode we have lost mike b entirely he has been yeah he's out beyond oh, he's, he has already thrown his phone into yeah. the depths of lake erie because it's the like screenshot uh, we get of it is going to be like a cracked screen on the, yes <laughs> you did this you did this <laughs> just like he said it's like all caps no more legislation oh, of <laughs> so, any kind i thought it was just specifically like episode number it's no legislation no legislation it's like maybe he's uh been watching what uh too much is going on in congress he's like yeah. how about those clowns in congress what a bunch of clowns how's he stay up on the news like that <laughs> but, uh, but anyway so i i had um suggested that going forward i write down my g1 score as part of my show notes as I'm going through first time watch and then watch how it develops. And I, I love that first time out that I'm doing this, this is a, this is going to be a really fun exercise. So I, uh, I wrote down for my G one score of uh, survival of the fittest. I put it as a 1.2 very Ooh, low, yeah, very low because I, the, the, for me, the the things that go into the G1 score are direct references and callbacks. And first time through, I didn't really get a sense because like this, this is a sequel TFA episode. You've got Meltdown. You've got... And and actually, I would think anytime you have a human supervillain, the G1 score takes like a huge hit. It's it's like, you know, it it knocks half of the score off when when you're dealing with a human supervillain. But then, yes, you have the Dinobots, but these are very not G1 Dinobots. And these are firmly establishing now that these are the TFA versions of the Dinobots. So um, for me, not a whole lot there. So I ranked it very low. But then as predicted, as we were talking about it, I I'm embarrassed that I didn't even clock that those were the G1 pretenders at first. I, I just, oh, it yeah. flew over my head. I just thought ah. that they were, I thought they were gnarly creatures because like, as, as you, as you had asked me about at the time, and I'm glad that you did, cause it adds context uh, to, to this reveal here. I'm not huge into the pretenders, especially those ones down the line. You know, it's right. like, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, if, if I were to point to a, uh, Decepticon Pretender, it would be Bludgeon. 
or or maybe Octopunch because he's got like a giant uh, old tiny yeah. diver head or something oh, like so that. I thought we were going to get Octo. I thought that was going to be the third creature, and I was so excited. But and it's it makes interesting. Sense. He's not really an animal, right? Because if it was, though, I think that would have clicked. I, I think that would have been like, wait a second, there's something about these gnarly creatures. Right. But but having them just beastly by themselves wasn't enough of a visual reference for it to click with me. So so I scored it very low. But now I have I have to add at least a whole nother point per creature. So that's <laughs> um, I guess um, I I'm going to amend my G1 score to a three point two. All right. I'll take Still, that. I did my I did my part, right? I got the G1 yeah. score up there. I made to made sure. Somehow that's become my job, I guess. Uh, yes, I'm, yes. I'm fine with it. Still uh, still lower than usual because I I feel like that this is a through and through TFA episode, especially it being a follow-up to a number of episodes. And this episode right. is not very standalone also. It's like yeah, I feel like you kind of need to have seen the other episodes to kind of understand what's going on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's a great sequel episode in that it, it remembers all the things that came before it, but it's definitely not a great like recap episode. Like it doesn't bother wasting time catching you up to a lot of like why this stuff is here. If it is, it's just like one line or two, but I kind yeah. of appreciate about that. It's rewarding. It's rewarding the watchers, the viewers that have paid attention. Mm hmm. Absolutely. So that is the G1 score. Um, I guess let's uh, let's dip into the mailbag and get into some listener feedback. What do you say? Yeah, let's do it. I just wanted to give you this letter. I'll leave now. Dear neighbor. <laughs> so, yeah, so dipping into the mailbag here and kind of getting back to the stuff that we touched on in Sounded Fury, I had a lot of like geographical legislation because, uh, you know, I, I've I've not visited the Great Lakes. I'm not as familiar with the Great Lakes, but um, our buddy Alpha Magnus um, has uh, has been and he he uh, he threw quite a bit of uh, feedback our direction. Um, first of all, starting with, I, I don't know how I missed this. We talked about blind spots earlier, uh, Michael Andrews, but there, there's an entire damn song about the Great Lakes and, <laughs> and a bit of uh, um, uh, pop culture. Uh, you know, uh, Gordon Lightfoot, you know, ask, uh, ask your parents and uh, RIP, by the way, um, did uh, one of his more famous songs is about the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald and the Edmund Fitzgerald is a freighter that sank in Lake Superior in 1975. The the crew was uh, was lost, and it's it's one of those 1970s ballads that, first of all, I didn't realize that it was a real thing, and it's it's very much like a, a singer songwriter storytelling ballad, but. The thing that I was missing is like, it's about the Great Lakes and the Edmund Fitzgerald went through the Great Lakes and yeah. stuff. So it's like, I, so I missed that. So to the point where I posited that perhaps what I read as a pirate ship during the fight in Lake Erie, <laughs> maybe that was the titular wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald there as well. Yeah. That's a, that, that's terrible. Those people are dead, but, um, but no, so, uh, going with that um 
Alpha Magnus actually went out to Lake Erie and took some pictures and uh, took some panoramas. And um, I had asked him since he was there, I asked him about the scale and he's like, well, it's um, you, you can't see Canada. So basically the, the long and short of it, Lake Erie, pretty deep, pretty vast. And he adds the most unrealistic thing about that battle is that they could even see each other at the bottom of the lake. So I I don't know if that's, I don't know if that means it's polluted or dirty or what, but um, the vastness of it too, that could be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And then the, the last bit of, Uh, listener feedback from alpha magnus here regarding my flub and the and the title of our previous episode uh mike chemical romance (laughs) i guess or mike mike i fucked it up you're fucking it up That was a great last episode of Two Mexican Furious, everyone. We've like, had a great run. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I think it just underscores how rummy we get into these epic recording <laughs> sessions because, like, I just, you know, and, and it's and it's a weird thing to try to explain to folks who don't do a lot of podcasting. But, like, there's a certain point where your brain just stops working and words just spill out of your face. Yeah. So um, so so that's kind of where the uh, uh, full chemical alchemist comes comes from and so um which inspired the the title of our last episode but alpha magnus puts i prefer full middle romance which i thought oh, was yeah. pretty funny Love so it. to to kind of kind of put a put a button on that and uh, right. and and we'll have a whole bunch of listener feedback in our next episode but since we're running a little long here let's uh, let's close up the mailbag uh for now and i'm going to i'm going to run across the room and turn down the lights it's kind of it's kind of time to kind of get into a kind of get into our little little nightclub vibe scene here i i can hear the hear the band coming in or maybe we're going to tap some bongos it is of course time for michael andrews preview haiku a pre-coup if you will yes thank you mike dramatic dramatic drum beats here uh preview haiku here we go total ownage noob some deck gets a new intern g1 spin-off twist what's a twist what's a twist (laughs) (laughs) oh good stuff man well that uh that will about do it for our conversation about transformers animated episode 12 survival of the fittest our episode 12 and um and yeah i guess with that let's just let's just get the hell out of here uh post-show banter eat pizza and stuff yeah we did it we done Want to be a guest on the show? Send us an email to Mike's2Furious at gmail.com. Interact with us on social media. You can follow Two Mike's Too Furious on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Two Mike's Too Furious. At 7 p.m. a main hatchway gave in. He said, fellas, it's been good to know you. Captain wired in, he had water coming in, and the good ship and crew was in peril. And later that night, when his lights went out of sight, came the wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald. I was going to mention too, uh, as we kind of close out here, that uh, 
It's, I totally, I mean, I didn't realize that Edmund Fitzgerald was kind of that blind spot for you, but for me, like, kind of no tangentially idea. related to North Shore tourism at my time up north, uh, had to talk about that a lot. So that was very prominent. And then even closer to my heart, um, the Edmund Fitzgerald is a beer. They named a beer after it, and it's a porter, which is my favorite type of beer. And it's really, really good, and it's actually made by Great Lakes Brewing Company. So that's how you, there's the, there's the full connection there. Cool. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Anytime I get to talk about beer, that's a win. So <laughs> had to say, had to make a mention. 